Hello. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Average Gamers podcast. I'm your host Lee and I'm Adam. And this is our ninth episode. Can you believe it, Adam? Oh, oh my God. When we started at the beginning of the year, I could not believe that we'd make it all the way through. I thought, give it three or four and we'd get bored of it. But no, this has been amazing. We've made it to nine episodes. We've now have enough to fill a whole Sudoku square. <laughs> Can you believe it? Amazing. Amazing stuff. Anyway, let's crack on. So to kick off episode nine then, Adam, what, what have you been up to since we last recorded? What have we been up to, Lee? Look, come on, we've both been playing a load of games recently. I think this month, actually, we've played more games than we have the rest of the entire year. You're probably right, actually. Yeah, we've played quite a few. We've played at least three times. Three times a lady. <laughs> three um, times so we, a lady. <laughs> so we, um, the thing that comes to, to my mind first is we played Rising Sun, and that was like a week ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Really fresh, fresh in our minds, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, we've... A couple of us in the group picked up Rising Sun, um, and we've only actually played it. I think even though I own a set, I've only played it. I think four times now. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. Right. And I picked up all the expansion sets with it as well. Yeah, you went um, all in on that. I one. went all in, um, but we never get around. Uh, we never got round to using the expansion sets. Hmm. So I think we mentioned it in the group thread, and we said, "Let's just get everything out. Let's use all the toys." Um, Including, so what's interesting, uh, Rising Sun, we've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast before, um, but what made this one interesting, the expansion set, is they add in uh, a couple of Chinese clans. Mm. With, so it's called D- Dynasty Invasion, and it's involving the Chinese invading Japan. Cool. Um, so you can play with the five or s- I think there's six standard clans you can choose from, Yeah. but you also have these two Chinese clans. Is that in addition to the other six? Yes, so there's so eight clans total. total. Eight, wow. Yeah, which you is actually play we, eight player though. Um, no, so it's only it only goes up to six. Um, but I think that's still a good number. I suppose of people. it'd be quite crowded if you had more. Than yeah, that, I think it? yeah. it'd be pretty competitive uh, <laughs> if you had like eight people on the board. And the other thing is, I guess if you played it that way, not everyone would get a turn with the mandates each turn. Oh, so there's yeah, only seven. Point. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess without going into too much detail, I think it was really great to to get the set out and have some more play with it. Um, mm, yeah, it's a gorgeous looking game. I mean, it's the retail version is not quite as nice as the Kickstarter, but I mean, for anyone who's interested in checking it out, check out Rising Sun by Simon or Cool Mini or not, as they were used to be known. Um, it's very kind of like, uh, is it mythical Japanese, would you say, is the art style? Yeah, I think so. Kind of like fantasy feudal Japan. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting stuff. Miniature quality is amazing. Mm. Um, so if you like chucking a bunch of miniatures on a board and like the, the du- kind of dudes on a map, I think is dudes a technical on a map. term, isn't it? <laughs> the dudes on a map or monsters on a map because I like the big uh, creatures that you can kind of bring into it as well. The mm. Kami and then I think they're called the Oni. Oni. Yeah, that's um, it. Lots of different play styles as well within the game. Um, really enjoyed it and I had this kind of like vision in my head that I would just be like I'm just going to go after all the territories I'm just going <laughs> to fight around the world in the, in the words of Russell Crowe I'm going to fight the around the world um, and I can't believe I went from having like next to no points in bottom place to like coming up on Absolutely first catapulted you, didn't it was it? Yeah. ridiculous Like, and I think we Darren and I talked about it afterwards because he was in a position um, in one of the battles to actually deny me the win and he he wanted to kill all of his guys, so he committed sepulchre, uh. killing all of his guys, gaining a bunch of victory points, but not blocking me. So he king made you inadvertently. Yeah, inadvertently. <laughs> so, but it was really great to get that out, and I think we all enjoyed it. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, it was a it was a nice little send off for one of our friends who's 
his wife is about to have a second child and uh, so he's not going to get any game in time for a while so yeah. hopefully he had a good send off from that anyway uh, what else have you been playing Adam lately? so we so I um, last weekend I went to Cardiff mm-hmm. and I took part in my first Aristea tournament Ooh. I say tournament because loosely it was more like an event than a mm-hmm. tournament um, there were 12 players I think in total yeah um, but it was really good fun. Um, it, so Aristair, we talked about it a number of times on the podcast. Um, so I won't go again, I won't go into too much detail. But it was good to see kind of, so the tournament format was you pick eight characters mm-hmm. out of the roster of 20. Yeah. From that eight characters, you draft your chosen four characters each um, scenario you play. Okay, cool. And you play four scenarios over the course of the tournament. Um, Sounds good. But it was a really good opportunity to see how other people use those characters mm. because, I, like, I have only played maybe a handful of games yeah. of Aristea, and the the scenarios we were doing at the tournament, I played like three of them once, yeah. and one of them I hadn't even played before. Oh, really? Oh, you went so in blind it, then? I went in blind. You know, Darren and I went up, and a lot of it was just about having fun, and we mm. just wanted to see how other people play the game. Cool. Um, but we had so much fun and it was so relaxing as well going there with no inhibitions to be like I have to win or I have to come high otherwise I'm going to feel bad about it yeah that's um, cool but it was good so we both came away with second and third in the that's tournament really which good. is really oh, good well done um, ironically so I came second and Darren came third mm-hmm. however Corvus Belly system how they record points is a bit like uh, it uses an ELO rating like okay. chess yeah um, so if you actually look on the leaderboards now, Darren is the second in the UK and I'm third, <laughs> even though I actually came above him in the tournament. Oh, really? And that, that's oh, just because he played, played some uh, harder opponents than me. Uh, okay. So the wins that he got are worth more points in the uh, kind of the global league sense. Okay, yeah, but it was, that makes sense. It, it was just really interesting to see the different character compositions and how people were using them. Hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. And some of the characters that I thought were maybe not as good or support characters really came out and shone so it was great fun to kind of see that excellent excellent i do like that game i'm looking forward to getting my own copy at some point hopefully in the new year um and then we then we had chance to play yeah you uh, and i we played x-wing played x-wing yes we have second edition x-wing which uh i think we'll well we're both pretty positive about it aren't we yeah i mean you you've been waiting to play this for like months you've been there you've colored in all your tokens and everything yeah i've taken a sharpie to the edges and everything you've been in the groove thread for ages like come on guys i really need to play this please (laughs) pretty much yeah i've I've been making spaceship noises since about september and finally got to actually put them on the table and play the second edition because you know i've played first edition a reasonable amount i'm no expert at it but i've played quite a bit we did uh myself and some friends did the uh fan made uh campaign system for it which was great fun and uh now it's finally matured to second edition and i won't go too deep into it because we've actually got uh, a number of blog articles uh, the first of which is going to be our not review but it's kind of a, a, a look our take on x-wing second edition so please keep an eye on our blog for that which is average-gamers.co.uk yeah and i think they offers a really good perspective on what we liked about it what we uh, maybe thought uh, had the, the improvements have been since the yeah. first edition yeah um but in in general i think we both enjoyed the game it was yeah. great to see i've always felt that some of the characters didn't feel like the characters in the films yeah and i definitely felt like 
playing as Luke Skywalker in the demo game that mm. we had, I actually felt like Luke Skywalker, yeah. like pulling those crazy maneuvers and kind of firing my missiles without having like a <laughs> yeah. torpedoes without having a target lock. It just felt a bit more like what I imagine the movies to be like. Mm. And the X Wings actually felt like X Wings and not yeah. like some just like overcosted version of a TIE <laughs> yeah. fighter. Indeed. So, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cool stuff. Okay, so that's what we've been playing. Let's uh, let's move on, shall we? Cool. So, what with it being uh, November and everything, isn't it about high time we started thinking about Christmas? Thinking about Christmas, Lee. Come on, we've had our Christmas list sorted for months now. Since about February, yeah, of maybe. Of course, we have. We're, we're war gamers. We're miniature. <laughs> we want all the things. We want all the things. We just <laughs> go out and we're like, oh, this this isn't a Christmas list. This is like a life yearly list. <laughs> a life list of games. And all you do is you section the bit off for Christmas and be like, okay, well, these are the ones you can go out and buy me, right? Well, yeah, yeah, That's I'm pretty not much how it goes. <laughs> Although we can put everything on our list, so I guess what I think we should do is talk a bit about what our top three games are each. Yeah, top three sounds good. Yeah, let's because go with otherwise that. we'd be here for ages. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd literally end up listing pretty much the entirety of Board Geek. Well, no, maybe not all of Board Game Geek, but a lot of it. Campaign, okay. campaign for North Africa, maybe. Oh, is that the one that takes like 1,200 hours to yeah. play or something? It like sounds the, good. The real-time length or something. <laughs> I think it's a 10-foot map, and it plays, I think it's got 1,500 play hours. Um, and you play it with up to 10 players. Uh, that sounds quite fun, but maybe not the whole, not 1,500 hours worth. I think when we retire, maybe we could just like book out a whole couple of weeks to play it. I think that would be the best How many thing weeks ever. is 1,500 hours? I don't know. I don't know. Somebody, somebody do the maths for us and uh, write in with the answer. So anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> moving we're digressing. on yeah, quickly onto our Christmas list. So Lee... We're going to put them in reverse order. So what is your... Oh, God, reverse order? Yeah, we're not oh, going to Jesus do your... Christ. You, we're, not, we're not going to do number one first. That's the one that you most want for Christmas. Right. So it's like a chart countdown, what, yeah? What's the one if, like, no one bought you one and two, but they bought you three? You'd be like, oh, well, I'm happy with this, but I wanted number one and two. Okay, so I think for me it would be Warhammer Underworld's Night Vault. I'm, get, I'm getting a sideways glance from you there. but Yeah, yeah I mean, I'd be disappointed if someone bought that for me, so... <laughs> So, Night Vault, for anyone not in the know, is uh, the second season, quote-unquote, of um, the Warhammer Underworlds line. So it's their kind of arena-based deck builder, miniatures combat game, in not in space. Um, it's kind of... That's probably the only way you could really describe it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it, well, it sounds it sounds like a really crap name for a like kids TV shit series, like Journeys into the Night Vault. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, basically, after the first season ended earlier this year, this is the start of the second season. So you get a new core set with a few new cards in it and different two new board. War- yeah, different board layouts, uh, two new warbands, and obviously there's a about another six warbands for season two to come out again, all with their own cards and such. Um, it's had pretty positive reviews. You know, it's got a new kind of magic, uh, not system, but it's like, you know, there's, a, there's new rules in there for magic, you know, magic casters and stuff. So it'll change things up a little bit. You know, I don't I don't play the game with any great degree of seriousness and we don't play it that regularly, but it's, it's nice to break out now and again. It's quite a quick game. So, yeah, I'd quite like that. And the models are really nice to paint, you know, standard Games Workshop fare. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always found that the Games Workshop figures just take paint really well, like mm. especially the washes. I, f- I feel like mm. they've almost designed their range of miniatures to work. Liquid like, talent, you yeah, mean? Yeah, basically, <laughs> just like 
solid color wash couple of highlights job done yeah and you know exactly. you, you see that in their tutorials they they've mm. started to put up online actually yeah very really very effective. true so true. are they introducing anything new into into this night vault is there uh, like new rules or yeah so the magic rules are slightly tweaked there's also a few uh, so they're, they're brand new but they have tweaked a few of the other rules so um without blinding everyone with science that you know there's certain things that happen now that are represented by a token whereas before the token was there as a reminder and things like that it's, it's a little bit finicky but it it neatens up the rule set slightly and, and makes it a bit more interesting with what you can do with certain cards and things so yeah it's it, it looks like a nice refresh of the system so i'm quite intrigued to try it out and paint some nice new models Lovely, lovely, and hopefully we'll see those in the RPG as well. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. You know, I'm always thinking of Double Duty. Whenever I look at a model now, I'm like, right, <laughs> Double Duty. Can I, can I play, can I play the actual game that it's meant for? But can I also shoehorn it into an RPG of some description? So I'm, all, I'm always thinking, me, always thinking. Hopefully, no one buys you naked elves in the. Uh, no, Jesus, no! Stockings. I don't want the wet nurse either. From was it Kingdom Death? Yeah. Oh yeah, we've Ugh. been threatening Darren with that for like ages. So I think he <laughs> will be the one to get it. We're either gonna get him that or Consentical, right? Yeah, I think Consentical's definitely on the top list. For what Darren. about what about both? If we like, mm. if we like, mount the wet nurse on the Consentical <laughs> oh box. God. Can you Too imagine? Too many tentacles. I think <laughs> he'd end up like Stan from. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> Let's not go into that. So what about you? Have you got a third choice, as it were? Yeah, I guess if I... So I've got three, and I think if I was going to put anyone in the third position, it would probably be Terraforming Mars. Okay. So this What's is... That, then? Yeah, so um, Terraforming Mars is a like a mid-level... Like I don't know. Like, like you don't know. Like you I know what Terraforming this. Mars is. I do, but for the listeners... So it's a it's a resource management game, okay. very Euro game. Um, I'd say it's like mid-level complexity. Okay. Um, where pe- players are put in the position of um, playing as corporations who are terraforming Mars or competing to... And that's why it's called That's that. why it's called <laughs> terraforming Mars. I never would have guessed. Um, and you do that by like... Uh, playing or collecting resources or spending on developing technology to effect- uh, effectively accrue points. Um, and then... You know, as you do certain things in the game, I think you get to the point where, like a lot of these kind of Euro games, the person that has researched the most technology or the person who's built the most cities or terraformed the most spaces gets bonus points at the end. Okay. So a lot yeah. of it is about slow accrue, slowly accruing points. Um, but at the end, you kind of like get a bunch of bonus stuff that kind of like sort of snowballs it. Snowballs okay. It, okay. Cool. Um, but I just it's one of those that it's always been up there as one of the highest rated Euro games. Yeah. People still love it, and there's a couple of expansions for it. Um, I, I like sci-fi as well. Mm. You know that kind of like terraforming future planets that kind of appeals to me as yeah. well. Um, but it's I just future space gardening basically is what he's saying. <laughs> hey, look, I love gardening. I've taken to garden. I laid a patio the other weekend, like a patio. Leaf. You know, you're getting old when you enjoy. Yeah, stuff I did in not enjoy it. I tell you oh, that. Really? Right. <laughs> no, I did not. Hopefully, the fruits of my labour will be enjoyed next year, but yeah. no, not at the moment. No, it's a bit um, crap out there. But I just like that kind of tactical strategy planning phase where you're kind of trying to think a couple of moves ahead of you, the other people, okay, uh, in your team, and maybe kind of almost doing things to deny them the yeah. victory as well i know some people don't like that no i don't but, mind that yeah. it's more the couple of moves thing that'll throw me it's like jesus i don't even know what i'm doing like tomorrow yet let alone <laughs> let alone two moves ahead you know what you're doing tomorrow destiny and a bit of painting oh right? yeah totally yeah. 
No, actually, no, I'm at a gig tomorrow night. Ooh. Uh, yes, very indeed. nice. So, yes, Lee, number two. what's in spot number two? Spot but, number two. <laughs> for me, I am not breaking the mould here at all when I say that I want to get Tyrants of Lethal, which is the latest expansion for Imperial Assault, my favourite game. So who are the Tyrants of, of Lethal? Lethal, yeah, Lethal is the name of the planet. So the Tyrants... But that's it, not on, uh, that's not on the, the, the board game, Rebellion. No, no, it's not. It's it's a recently canonised planet. Oh, it's like from one of those Star other Wars planets. Rebels from, <laughs> from the cartoon show Star Wars Rebels. the The name's a bit misleading because there's only really one tyrant, and it's it's Grand Admiral Thrawn. So he's in it, and you get Thrawn. The, yeah, okay. You get the rest of the cast of Star Wars Rebels as your kind of allied heroes. There's a couple of like new nameless heroes in the box who are your kind of campaign characters. And then there's some annoying guy who was in the Clone Wars as well as Rebels. <laughs> some some annoying guy. Hondo Onaka is his name. Hondo Onaka. They I... just like that's just a really, it's like Lando and Han merged yeah, together. Kind of, a... yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he's he's slightly annoying, but you know he's in it, and I'll get it just for the sake of completeness. And I can see you sort of saying, well, I can see the questioning look in your eyes there. So tell us a bit more about what what do the heroes bring to the set? What 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 is so about them? one of them is a retired clone trooper. Uh, so he's got he's got a lot of he's basically a ranged character. He's a bit like Fen from the original game. So you okay. know, he can do a lot of damage. It's not necessarily as much area effect, but he can put out a lot of firepower. The other character is a bit of a melee character. She has got like cybernetic limbs. And she's in a kind of boxer's pose, so I'm guessing she goes and punches things. So she might be quite fun to use. So she's a bit like that uh, person from Guardians of the Galaxy, right? What, Drax? No. No, who no. Who's um, Thingy's sister that's got all the cybernetic parts? Oh, her, parts. yeah, yeah. She's yeah, always not... like fighting people with her fists. Yeah, yeah, I guess she's a bit like arms. Nebula, yeah, but she it's not. I think stuff. she's. I think it's more like an exoskeleton rather than replacement limbs, but oh, okay. I've not really looked too closely at it yet. Okay. So, yeah, I'd like to get that, I think, for Christmas because, you know, it, it'll finish it off and also double duty again. Lee, you will never finish it off. Do you understand this is their tactic. This is their strategy. One more set. Just one more set. <laughs> like a drug addict back at Fantasy Flight Games. Like, give me more. Just hook it up to my beds. <laughs> I just need more Star Wars. <laughs> but it, in, in general, they do have some really nice figures in the sets mm. and they do tend to add some new pieces to the game that kind of yeah, extend that. Yeah, usually a couple of new rules as well, which, which can really change the things up you know we've we've started noticing that more and more because we've started using some of the newer characters in the uh legends of the alliance uh app campaigns that we've been playing and like trying out the different uh hero combinations and that and they've been good fun and some of the allies that we get to bring along with that as well and have you still have you stumbled across the zoo scenario yet that we've no uh... we've not we've not re-encountered the imperial zoo we did play through the jabbers campaign and that was really good fun really thematic and there was only maybe one questionable one or two questionable choices that the app gave us for the most part everything was thematic and made sense so do you want to explain to the listeners about the old uh, imperial the zoo imperial zoo quote unquote so that was when we played through the initial legends of the alliance campaign um we were tasked with breaking into an imperial facility we were chasing down a traitor among our among our rebel crew we burst through the door into this room and then the app as it goes through it randomly generates uh, opponents for you from your collection and it just so happened that this time when we went into this imperial facility it generated not only a tuscan raider on a bantha a wampa which is an ice creature uh, it also gave us was it uh, some Trandoshans? Oh, and a Rancor. Just, oh, yeah. you know, randomly in this Imperial base. You know, clearly we, we reasoned that it was like the back lot of some zoo 
that it's like you know things had just gone horribly wrong and they'd all escaped <laughs> just like zoo transport gone yeah, wrong it's exactly. like jurassic park <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so we we dubbed it the imperial zoo and that's like it's stuck with us the entire time now <laughs> so yeah it's, it um the jabba's realm version actually has been a lot better is there, there was maybe one or two instances where we went what the hell is that doing here but for the most part it was actually really really in keeping cool felt really good so about you, what's what's number two choice for you then? Uh, well, it's, it's been it's been hard actually to put this this list together, but I think number two, the number two spot is inspired by uh, Red Dead Redemption that I've been playing recently on Xbox, and uh, that yes. is um, yeah, Grand Theft Horse. Grand Theft Horse. Hey, I love my horse. <laughs> Leave that horse alone. With its with its dangly horse balls that they somebody had to code that man. Yeah, well, someone had to code horse pooing as well. Like literally, <laughs> that was that shocked me so much. I pulled up in that game, hitched my horse outside, and then literally got off, walked around the back, and just poo came out. Can it crap like, on? Can what? it crap on demand? Is there a button for it? No, there's no uh, crap on demand button. You can yeah, feed them and pet the horses and brush the horses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really selling Wonderful, you the game yeah. now, you like, yeah. oh, let's join ourselves online. I can have a brush- pet horse. <laughs> let's all brush our horses in like <laughs> synchronization. Amazing. Oh. Anyway, yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. So the the board game is called Western Legends. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like a sand- sandbox tabletop adventure for two to six players. Cool. Uh, and it's really set in that kind of American Wild West where you've got both uh, like all the players competing to earn the the rank of legend so just um define the term sandbox for anyone who's not in the know so i guess for a sandbox is like a I, the way i would describe a sandbox is there are numerous ways to play in the sandbox so it, it kind of describes There's no one defined this. route or sort of thing to do as such yeah, 100%. So there's like, um, you all play as different characters, but the route to success is defined by the choices that you make. Rather okay. than, so there's a number of different ways you can achieve success in the game. So again, it's like, it's based around becoming a legend, mm. um, but you can become a legendary outlaw or a legendary gunslinger, or you can go well, and help. like me and already a legend, though. How, how does uh, that well, work? Well, <laughs> unfortunately, Lee, uh, you get demoted to the rank of... Uh, non-legend <laughs> idiot <laughs> uh, for, for the start of the game and you have to work your way back up to to that mythical rank of legend okay um so yeah you can do it by like prospecting for gold or you know robbing trains it's kind of up to you what you want to do with it cool. um and again you have to kind of watch out because some of the other players who do uh, outlawish things like rob trains and banks and you know shoot people up they'll be hunted down by the other players because there might be bounties on them. And then they can become legends okay. by kind of like hunting those other players down. So it's kind of like... So could you be like a law-abiding citizen? Oh, yeah, you can, you can do that. So, you, so one of the ways to win, you can go around and help people and just play the story. So you okay. can help people with their stories and their quests. That sounds interesting. There's loads of games that do it that we played recently. Like I would say, you know, Rising Sun has that, like in terms of how do you want... You, how do you want to score your points in the game? Mm. Do you want to capture territory, or do you want to do it by um, uh, like accruing monsters, or like uh, having loads of victory points, capturing people? Yeah. There's different ways of achieving that. I mean, quite loosely in terms of Rising Sun, but even like Lords of Hellos, like yeah. there's you can go and do the stories as the heroes that you play as. Oh yeah, where you go questing and stuff, yeah, isn't it? Precisely. Yeah. Or you can go kill monsters mm. or you can try and capture capture territories. Okay. There's a number of different ways that you can win and it kind of is all about adapting to your playstyle. Um you, you could say Twilight Imperium's the same as that. I mean, look at the way that you play Twilight Imperium. You you've gone into the last game that we played. 
going, I'm going to play as this race and I'm going to try and play it this particular way. Mm. Like everyone else is like, I'm going to fight each other. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to play the pacifist. I'm going to capture mm. the main place and hold it as much as I can. And that won you the game. So yeah. I think you see more and more of these games rather than being like, there is this one set way of winning. It's kind of up to you. Okay, yeah. I would say one of the weaknesses of that style of gameplay, though, is that if you've got someone who's not used to the game or that sort of mechanic, mm. they kind of want to know how to win and they sometimes only see the one way to win. Yeah. So when someone else achieves a way of victory, they're like, I didn't really think of that. And yeah. it could be a bit of a negative for those people playing so it's it. It's maybe not the greatest game for newcomers to the board game hobby, would you say, or, or not? Um, I guess if it's well explained to people what, how they can win and maybe there's a little tutorial given then maybe it would make a bit more sense okay and maybe rising sun and twilight imperium are not good examples of that but hopefully western legends is because it's got that kind of outlawish style to it like everyone knows there were good guys and the bad guys in the west you'd be a good guy and be really good Mm. and um, become a legend that way or you can be a bad guy go rob some stuff and be um, like legendary outlaw. Okay, cool. So it sounds, it sounds like it ticks the old uh, golden plate of theme then. Golden plate of theme, indeed. Yeah. And it's got some great miniatures. Oh, does it? It's yeah, not standees? It? No, not standees. Oh, okay. Ooh, My interest are peaked. Yeah, indeed. Uh-huh. Fucking hate standees. So, spot number one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Lee, what is in your spot number one? Spot number one. one. I'm going to shock wub, you with wub, this wub. one. <laughs> yeah, with your dubstep wubs. So... I have been looking at Yamatai. Now, <gasps> I know, shocker, eh? There's no miniatures in it. It's a Euro game. It's got wooden components. Oh, my goodness, what Lee. An what have you done with Lee? Where yeah. is he? <laughs> so, back in 2017, before, we even, before this podcast was even a twinkle in our eyes, we played a game called Yamatai, which was brought to my attention by a friend of the show, Darren. I'd never heard of it by this point. I was like, what? Does it have a miniature in it? I don't know. I've never bloody heard of it. Was this on the way to the Eurogamer Expo? Or no, this was at the before? UK Games Expo. Oh, that was, was it. Yeah, we yeah, sat yeah, down yeah, and played it. There's four of us, didn't we? No, three of us. And there was a random guy there, wasn't it, with us? Um, <laughs> Mr. Random. No, he well, he'd been waiting as well to yeah. play it, wasn't it? I think it was the last thing we did before we came home. And actually, I was quite intrigued by it. You know, it, it left me wanting to play it again, which sometimes, you know, if you get a kind of a taster of a game, you, you know almost straight away, oh, and it's not for me. But actually, it kind of opened my eyes to there are other kinds of board games than just conflict, you know? There are other types of board games without miniatures. Yeah, without miniatures as well. I, know, I was completely shocked by that. So We checked him into rehab for a week after this. Yeah, I was twitching. I was hugging my knees and rocking back and forth for a week. Um, <laughs> so the the basic premise of Yamatai is set in this kind of fictional, uh, la- the land of Yamatai, hence the name. And the, the queen of the uh, region has tasked every builder to build the capital city and make it the jewel of this like group of islands. So the board is like a, a, a stylized sort of set of islands with like sort of little um, rivery, I suppose. Yeah, like canals. Are they yeah, well, canals I think I think it's like... meant to be sea, but obviously they've condensed it down, so they look, they look more like rivers. Your aim is then to basically sail around, and you you place uh, your boats down, and the boats are different colours depending on the resources you have and such. It's, I'm not doing the best at explaining it. It's worth googling the name to find out a bit more, but. It's really quite interesting because it's it's all about sort of like it's not quite area control, but you are trying to grab land effectively, and I just really enjoyed it. It just felt quite. It, there's not there's no conflict directly in it, you know. It, it's a nice peaceful game, and 
while my wife and I were in London uh, a few months back now, at the end of the summer, we went to a board game cafe there, uh, a place called Drafts, and we, uh, we we were looking for a game to play. And I said, oh, why don't we try this one, Yamatai? And, you know, she said, oh, yeah, that looks quite pretty. Let's, let's give it a go. It's quite a colourful box. So we tried it, and she really enjoyed it as well. And I thought, well, if she can really enjoy it, then we're obviously onto a good thing here. So, you know, my wife's not big into board games, but she does like playing them. So I thought, well, yeah, let's let's run with that then. Let's let's give it a go. So I think that's quite high on my Christmas list. I'm pretty sure it's on hers as well. So there's every likelihood that we'll end up with a copy in this household. As post. well, as, that's pretty good because I kind of want to give it another go as well. Hmm. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great take on um, that kind of Euro worker placement game. Yeah. Um, it's done by the same people that do Five Tribes, right? Yeah, Days of Wonder. So they've done Ticket to Ride, Five Tribes. Uh, okay, yeah, I can definitely see that. Did now, they do that Five kind Tribes? Of like, I can't uh, yeah, yeah, they did, yeah. Okay, so. cool. So yeah, you know, Days of Wonder are, are pretty well known in the board game world. They they tend to put out some pretty decent games. So yeah, I'm looking forward to giving this one a go. Oh, fantastic! No, it's great yeah. to hear that you're picking it up. Hmm, indeed. So what's your number one choice then for? for you Christmas? need to give me the wubs. The what? Wub 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 wub. Number one. one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is actually it only came to my attention a few days ago, really. Yeah. Um, and that's called uh, it's called Treasure Island. Okay. Um, so it's like an asymmetric uh, puzzle game, which sees like a band of pirates mm-hmm. uh, race to find their captain's treasure that's buried somewhere on this map. Okay. Um, I say, so is, it, is it like hidden? Well, it's not hidden movement, I guess, is it? But well, it's, it's hidden. Like... It's a hidden piece, effectively. Yeah. So you have this whole map, and then the the captain decides where to bury his treasure. Okay. And throughout the game, the captain has to give the other pirates hints as to where the treasure may be buried. Mm-hmm. And these hints come in the forms of maybe drawing on the map. So the map's like laminated. Okay. So you can like draw hints and be like, it might be in this region. So you might draw a big circle using yeah. a tool. Uh, or you might be like, it's definitely not north of this line or it's within this hey, area. Cool. So you're starting to narrow down the kind of area where this treasure could be in. Now, the captain's job is to try and um, lead people away from where the treasure is. So... Out of the eight or ten... Cl- I'm not sure how many clues he gets to give, because mm. I've not read too much into it. Yeah. But out of the clues he can give, I know there's a couple of bluffs that he can play. Right. So it's up to the other pirates to figure out what he, where he's telling the truth and where he's lying. Okay. Um, You know, it's, it's got that vibe... For me, it's got that vibe of, like, um, Letters from Whitechapel yeah. or Coup or The mm. Resistance, that kind of, like hidden bluffing party game yeah this one sounds like really like accessible though for like people who maybe aren't into board games are a really good party game almost yeah i just like we've always had great feedback and and experience with people who just don't play board games Mm. like these kind of hidden movement ones or um, asymmetric games that like one person can say hey i know the game so i'm gonna play as this person i'll play as the captain and you can work together Mm. and i think that works really well and like just Mm. the drawing on the map and the interaction just it comes away with people having experienced something that they haven't before. Yeah. And they're yeah. always going, let's play it again. So hmm. games like Letters from Whitechapel, Coup, The Resistance. Mysterium, all, I guess. Mysterium. Yeah. But yeah, this just, like, you saw the video as well, I sent it mm, to you. And yeah. like, I just think it looked really thematic. Yeah, I'd um, really like to play it, actually. It really does look good. social. Um, it's one of those I think you'd have after a few few glasses of wine and be like, uh, after like well, a... Grog, grog, surely, if grog, you're a pirate. A right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it definitely, for me, is going to be one of those great games to pick up at Christmas. And you can actually probably play it at Christmas with... Yeah, the, yeah you can probably people. play it with your family almost, as well as your friends, yeah. 
Yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of our our list, uh, our top threes. Excellent. Oh well, let's let's pray that Santa deposits a, a huge <laughs> oh, sack no, at the end no. of your no. What was it? Oh, Empties his sack at the foot of your bed. That's the oh, word I was no. looking for. Lee, let's move on. <laughs> Okay then, so in this particular section of the show, we're going to talk about painting because both of us have been involved in the wargaming hobby for, ooh, probably, well, for me, it's about 25 years. I don't know about you. 25 years? I Jesus. Know, it's yeah. crazy. Oh, you're like a GW baby. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, so for me, I guess I probably started gaming when I was like 12 or 13, I think. How so how was that? Like, uh, you, you kind of been gaming 25 years. Yeah, I, I started before I met you. Like I, I picked so up I, my first model when I was about 11. Fine. So if I'm if I'm 30, then that would be, what, like 20, 17 years? years? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've been gaming a fair while. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah, um, safe to say. <laughs> I mean, we both met through a local war games club. We did. Um, back in the day, we were pretty heavy 40k players i would say in fact i think that's religion that's all we played yeah it was yeah it was that was our yeah our, our religion you're right yeah it but was the ta- only game we played we're talking about kind of third edition 40k really was when we kind of hit the scene i mean you probably played a bit before that but in general we started playing more in third edition. yeah i, I only really painted when i was uh before i joined the club just because i had nobody to play against but yeah eventually yeah started the club and there we went and that club club was mainly like historical gamers as well, wasn't it? Yeah, the vast majority of that club is historical gamers. Although there was a sizable forty k crowd there, and I think there still is by all accounts. You know, I, I don't attend anymore, but but I think for me the kind of the forty k scene has changed slightly, and it's kind of gone off. For me, anyway, it's changed. Maybe it's just because I've I've grown up right, and I've I've developed different interests, and my the appeal of certain figures has changed for me. I think mm-hmm. that's maybe it, you know, like I don't, maybe it hasn't actually changed that much. Maybe it's me that's changed, but I, I don't think that's... I think, to be honest, the thought of buying, building, painting the 2000 point army is just beyond the realms of possibility <laughs> these days. I think yeah. with, as you, as you get older, just free time is at a premium, right? And I haven't got time to be doing that. And then playing a, a game that lasts, well, could last three hours, could last 45 minutes, depending on who you play against, right? I've, I've actually heard people compare it to less of a hobby and more like a lifestyle choice, like because mm. it because it's impacts your life so much in getting that painting done. Oh, God, yeah. That it actually like has to be your lifestyle. Like You have to live it. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do that kind of scale of painting, definitely. But what we're talking about in this section is, like, there's, there's a bit of a... Not a divide, but there's sort of two camps, isn't there, of people where it's like, oh, yeah, these these models for this board game look particularly good. I wonder what they'd look like with a coat of paint. And some people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, do it. It will look cool. And some people are like, oh, it's a board game. Why would you bother compared to a war game, right, where painting's kind of expected? So, you know, I I took the plunge with painting one of my board games, Imperial Assault, and that I deliberated on that for quite a while. I was in the sort of same kind of train of thought. I was like, well... Is it? It's, it's a board game. Do I really want to paint it? And then I looked, and I'd seen a few other examples online, and it's just like a game like Imperial Assault, which has really nice artwork on the tiles and on, and everything else, and then you're just putting grey or tan coloured plastic figures on there, and it just kind of it just loses something for me. So I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to undercoat these guys and, and just give them a really quick paint job, and. 
you know, I don't know how you felt about it, but I mean, for me, it made the game just look, you know, a hundred times better. I thought. Oh yeah, definitely. I think um, Imperial Assault is one of those board games you can paint and it looks effective. Hmm. I think it gets away with it nicely as a board game that can be painted because yeah. it's so iconic anyway. Hmm. And you know what the good guys and the bad guys look like. You know, you got your white stormtroopers and you got the rebels that the ragtag group yeah. of people. Um, people running around with lightsabers, the red ones are the bad guys, mm. the blue ones are the good guys, or blue and every other colour under yeah, the rainbow yeah. apart from red. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it gets away with it really well, and you've done a fantastic job on them as well, so oh, it must be said, you know. Um, and you've got everything painted, well, pretty much everything. Nearly, yeah, I'm things. getting there, getting, slowly working my way through it. I mean, apart from the albino rancor at the back of the cabinet. Hey, like, you leave him alone. <laughs> he's, he, you know, it's, it's a skin he's condition. He's like, please leave, please paint me. Everyone else has been painted. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to him. Don't um, you worry, Ran- Ranny the rancor. <laughs> Randy. Randy, Randy, Randy the, rank. the rancor. Randy the rancor. There you go. Oh, Randy. Um, but yeah, you know, there are some board games that i think it also takes away so one of the games that mm. we both mentioned was like rising sun which yeah definitely. you've got so many different factions at play and where you're placing figures actually if you painted them i mean it's probably worth pointing out that each of the different factions is in like a really nice colored pastel plastic yeah really really nice like it, i think that that is a game that would actually not benefit from being painted i think it loses something i've seen a few examples of people who've painted copies of Rising Sun. And you know, the miniatures take paint really well. You know, they look great, they're incredible, and some of the painters are really good. But when you see it all together on the board, it just kind of almost detracts from the experience because instead of that nice, soothing pastel kind of colours, you've got a, a bit of a riot of colours yep. going on because everything's there's no overall unifying colour scheme with them. I'd yeah, say. no, I kind of agree, and I think so so the kind of point we're getting to is really um, you need to look at the context to which yeah. which you're painting, and if it's to make something look better and it doesn't impact the the gameplay, yeah, then that's fine. But if it is going to impact the gameplay um, at the expense of putting some paint on the miniature, then maybe it's not worth it. Yeah, it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't bother painting Twilight Imperium, right? Because actually, that having the kind of bright coloured plastic ships makes it really kind of quite quick to identify where everything is. And if you were to paint all those up. Well, one, it would take you hours anyway because there's a hundred bloody thousand of them. But it, I think it would lo- the game again would lose something, right? If you yeah. can't see the purple ships and the yellow ships and the red ships, you'd, you'd be sort of squinting to try and work out who's who. Yeah, and I think, or maybe it's also because if you look at Imperial Assault, you're playing as like the heroes are specific characters. Yeah. So you kind of want to see that this is a human because they've got kind of like a flesh tone on mm. that we expect to see. Yeah. Um, and then hey, this is an alien guy that I'm playing as because he's got blue skin yeah. and that you know his. You, it, I think it picks up facial characteristics a bit better. Mm. Mm. Um, particularly with some of the alien races compared to compared to because otherwise yeah. they're all they're all just um like a. Is it like a brown or a tan the, colour? The heroes are like a brownish sort of well, tan coloured plastic and the, the enemies are all grey and it's yeah, it's not the most inspiring to look at for Imperial Assault if it's not painted. But then there's there's other games that like I think a friend of ours, a friend of the show, Darren, has painted up his Deep Madness Kickstarter set and he was definitely in the camp of why would you bother painting it? It's a board game, right? Mm-hmm. And then he kind of 
took the plunge, and actually, I think he's he's definitely not regretted it, has he? I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic painter anyway. Yeah, and I mean, we've put some of his stuff up on the yes, Instagram have, channels yeah. as well, just so you guys can see. He's done a fantastic job. And actually, what that shares that's quite similar to Imperial Soul is that the there's only there's like the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah, there's no like six different factions. Mm. Maybe and maybe that's where you kind of draw the line is if there's mm. lots of yeah, interactions like between the different players. It's easier to tell that just from flat colours that you have. Yeah. Rather yeah, that's than true. rather than kind of like board games where actually it looks alright if it's kind of the good so dungeon crawlers you can paint. Yeah, yeah, dungeon crawlers are good. Um I would say I actually one thing we didn't mention at the top of the show was that I played Village Attacks quite recently and I quite enjoyed it. It's yeah. uh, it's one that I want to play again. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold on it, but I mean that one is a game where the miniatures look really nice, and I think they would really benefit from a paint job. You know, the artwork on the boards is really good, and so having the figures painted as well because I can't remember if I think all the figures are the same color actually yeah. in terms of plastic. So it'd be quite nice to see the monster. You know, the monsters look really detailed. Yeah. You know, they look great painted up, and I'm sure all the kind of villagers as well would. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's a case of if it's a one faction versus another maybe that takes paint better than a multiple faction game perhaps perhaps that's that's the distinction you need to make maybe i mean again some people have obviously painted rising sun the figures look amazing that they have painted oh yeah just saying that it would impact the gameplay right yeah i would i would never discourage anyone from painting any model if they really want to i mean I i just think personally that a game like rising sun loses something when they are painted Unless unless you can find a way to make those colour schemes really pop and stand out yeah. from a distance so that you can instantly see, which I've noticed, the, the, particularly the ones I've looked at, they've kind of gone to mimic the artwork. Yeah. And obviously the artwork, they, they have a, an overriding theme colour, but maybe it's a lot darker than the pastel colours of the plastic. So it kind of loses something for me. I mean, the other thing that we could potentially talk about is um, when you are painting, we, we we talk about painting being this sit down and spend hours on a miniature. Not when, at all. When yeah, actually all. what we could talk about is just applying a single colour or a couple well, of colours to a miniature. Let's, let's not get ahead of us. So what what would you need to start painting? I think, first of all, because there are... I've actually... I'm, I'm. It's like we've planned this, right? So I've got a, a colleague that I work with who's, who's just wanted to get back into miniature painting. He used to paint like airfix kits when he was younger. And he, he said to me, oh, yeah, you paint, Lee. You know, what? how do I, how do I get started again, you know, these days? I don't, I don't really know where to go. I'm kind of floundering around here in a bit of a daze. Yeah, of so course. Where, where do I start? So... But it's quite complicated, isn't it? You kind of go, yeah, okay, what, what do I even need to buy? You just yeah. think one brush and a couple of pieces of pots of paint and you're sorted but it's not the case is it no not always so i mean you know obviously you, you're going to need brushes and paints are the obvious ones and there's, there's there's a lot of manufacturers out there and i think you know certain painters will swear by a certain brand i've always used games workshop um paints especially maybe not the brushes so much i'm not as big a fan of their brushes but that's that's an experience that you get over time right when i first started i used games workshop paints and brushes and they're not cheapest but they're not the most expensive either and they do the job so you know it's always worth looking at those yeah i mean the and the first thing to consider when you are starting to paint is the well i personally i think the first and foremost the most important thing you need to do is undercoat the model yeah so you're going to need uh, an undercoat of some description by far the best kind is the uh, rattle can you know spray can type aerosol 
undercoats, I think. Yeah, I think these give like a like a pretty even coating across everything, and they're the the kind of the quickest way to apply that flat color to something. Yeah, they're like a, a solvent based paint, so actually they adhere to a lot of surfaces better than a brush on sort of primer would. So it's also probably worth mentioning then you need to also look at the if if these are board game pieces sometimes the way that they've been cast you might need to wash them in advance. Yeah, yeah, definitely you want to you want to give most kind of models a, a little bit of a, a light scrubbing with some soapy water and a old toothbrush maybe just to clean off any like mold release agent because that stuff is like oil so paint will never stick to it. Yeah. Um from there you obviously need a, a well lit space to paint in um and uh, a reasonable slug of time. If you don't need, you know, weeks, you can you can get quite. You know, one of our friends, uh, he is an absolute machine when it comes to painting. He'll churn out like entire entire boxes worth of of board game miniatures in like an evening. Which I, I, I don't understand how he does it. I I literally ca- could not replicate that. He, no. you're right. He is like a machine. He is. He, he's he's brilliant. At it. And then he makes a shit ton of money when he sells it on eBay. Like quite quickly afterwards. Yeah, he'll be <laughs> like, oh, okay, this new thing's come out. I've got three of the faction boxes, and they're painted within a week. Yeah. And you're like, how have you even done this? Like, yeah. it doesn't make. It's it's commendable. Are you human. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. How many how many people's he got chained up in his basement, yeah. pay, forcing them to paint? Right. So yeah, that's the kind of that's where you want to start. I mean, what we'll do, I think, it's probably worth us because we could sit here and rattle off a load of manufacturers and a load of websites. And I think the best thing we can do is maybe put this as a blog article of like you know yeah, a definitely. few links and yeah. stuff, and say you know here's a good place to go to get this, and here's a good place to go to get that. And I think that's so. This will just be a, a more of an overview, but you know, it's, it's kind of hopefully discuss the merits of painting. So. You know, your first models don't have to be masterpieces. And especially I, I from a personal standpoint, so I paint on commission now and again for people, um, yourself included, well, you Adam. Pa- yeah, you've painted for me um, on many uh, occasions. Still got more waiting in the cabinet I, yeah, for I you. I know I have. I know I have. I've got a lot a lot to do. Um, but I, I've painted, you know, wargaming miniatures for yeah, the best part of 25 years now. Um, and board game pieces these days are actually not far removed from most miniature wargaming pieces you know they're, they're of equivalent detail but i found that i think the the, the trick with them is because obviously when you're painting a wargaming army like that's half the hobby is the painting side when you're trying to paint a board game you're maybe just trying to get some color on them mm. so you can kind of get away with like you were saying a, a flat color and then like an ink wash just to bring out some of that detail and i think that is more than sufficient and especially if you're just starting, like that's mm. that that is the basics of painting, right? You get a flat color on, you maybe you know you're not going crazy with detail and all this kind of stuff, and then you you, you put a flat color on and you put an ink wash over it just to shade it, and, and that's more than sufficient, right? Yeah, and I think uh, you you know we we don't want to go too detailed into kind of the different paints you can buy, but I think Games Workshop do the best kind of if you're going to put a flat color on something and you're going to wash it. It's probably the best place to go to pick if up your paint. You're just starting out. I'd highly recommend them. Yeah, I just think. because they've got a good combination. They've got some good base coats that literally will go on, and you put one flat coat on it. It's kind of got yeah, a good coating. They spell it out for you as well. Like they're quite good in that they have like their base paints, their layer paints, their washes, and all this kind of stuff. So for the beginner, they're actually they're really beginner friendly. I think in terms of you know what they offer and also the kind of ease of what what they have uh, ease of use sorry and i think that's it, it stands testament to why they are the one the the biggest company right that supplies yeah. war games miniatures yeah, like, oh, yeah just definitely. that they have been able to master that kind of art of 
um, supplying that kind of base level need to mm. provide paints to 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 end users. Yeah, and it, and it, and it, and it works for them. And uh, so one of the things I would say that I've noticed in your collection, mm-hmm. especially with some of the um, board games pieces, it kind of goes against what I would expect. But you undercoat a lot with white, and it tends to it looks like it mm. almost adheres a better. Um, base coat and wash it tends to like be more vibrant in yeah color. so i'd actually not used a white undercoat so when you when you undercoat your miniatures there, there's sort of you know again there's there's two schools of thought with it you can either have a a, a, a kind of you know there's there's the the black spray undercoat camp and the white spray undercoat camp but actually there's so many different colors you can use you know I, i've been using gray undercoat for the last maybe five or six years just because i find it's a bit easier to work with black can be if your model is predominantly black go for it you know it say it cuts out a whole load of time as well because you're literally spraying the main color on there and then it's done with white uh, sorry with gray it's a bit you know you still it's very rare that you're going to have a, an all gray kind of army i mean I, I i did which is why i went with gray initially but actually i found it's quite useful because it's not too dark, so you can get lighter colours on there quite easily. But it's also not too light, so you can do darker colours quite quickly. The opposite end of the spectrum to black, obviously, is white. And the only reason I went back to white, I used to use white almost exclusively when I was younger, just because I didn't know any better. And like white can be a bit of a sod to work with sometimes. Because if your colours are not very thick in terms of pigment you'll need several coats and it really shows on white more so than black it's it's a lot less forgiving i find yeah. but with imperial assault i was like i looked at how many stormtroopers there were in that box and i was like like fuck am i painting all of these with multiple coats of white so i was like right i'm going to buy some white spray and i'll just do the lot but actually doing in doing that i actually saved myself a whole load of time because if you thin your paint slightly which is like a mantra that any any painter will tell you thin your goddamn paints like Doing it over a white undercoat on a piece such as a, an Imperial Assault miniature actually works really well because it almost cuts out the wash phase sometimes as well. It almost does the highlighting and shading for you. So actually, a lot of the vast majority of the models that you can see, um, obviously not the listeners, I'm <laughs> I'm uh, indicating Adam there. They um, th- there's very little in the I, way. I'm in this boat, by the way, guys. I'm with yeah. you. I'm I struggle to paint. You know, I'm one of these that gets really stuck with my painting. So like these tips and tricks are really good for me in like getting back into the hobby and getting mm. back into painting because for me it is a bit of a blocker at the moment and we'll come to talk about that uh, in in a bit but sorry yeah. I that's right yeah no worries. so yeah like having a white undercoat means I can just put a thin coat of paint on and you know bam it looks really good without with minimal effort on my part and that's how I was able to paint so much so quickly and you know eventually I'll get a bit more time and I'll be able to you know complete the rest and then. I can always revisit them to make them look better if I want. Like I, I spent a bit more time on the hero figures because you know they're the ones that are on the table the whole time. Like stuff like you know your, your generic grunts like stormtroopers and stuff are going to get killed and taken off the board so often. There's no point, yeah. you know. But uh, one of the other sorry. things to mention then, if you are going to start practicing some of these te- techniques, is maybe worthwhile picking up some uh, miniatures to practice on. Good God, yes! Buy some cheap, cheap, shitty miniatures initially to practice on. Don't. Don't like immediately start out with your favorite board game because if you if you ruin that you've got to buy a whole new board game right to replace. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think this is one of the the bits that I get stuck on is definitely my blocker is um, especially with um, war games is 
because I play a lot of Infinity. The miniatures are really detailed. You're spending about £10 a miniature, really, once you factor yeah, in the yeah. base and all the extras. Like, you're thinking to yourself, here's 10 miniatures. Like, God, that's £100 worth of stuff. If I mess something up or I don't do it well, I feel like I've got to strip it down and I've failed. Mm. Um, so I think one of the things I need to get back into... But we, we've also played Dreadball um, yeah. last year. Mm. But the Dreadball set that I picked up, like 10 miniatures for 20 quid. Yeah, I blitzed and painted that. And I was yeah. like, oh, I was fine. And I wasn't too... Um, I guess I wasn't too worried about yeah, the end you, result. You didn't I have as many like, hang-ups, did you? I wasn't as hung up about it. Mm. And maybe that's something that I would recommend, is just, like, if you're going to start learning how to paint, yeah. pick up a couple of test miniatures. Like, And I, again, recommend GW do some Games Workshop, do some really basic sets you can use. Yeah, they do, and they're actually yeah, re- quite reasonably priced as well, which is something I never thought I'd hear myself saying in the same sentence as Games Workshop, but actually, yeah, they are quite reasonably priced, well, some I of think, those I easy think, ones. I think where they get you is the kind of, like... It's like crack, right? They get you, hooked <laughs> yeah. In it. They get you hooked in it. Cheap prices, and then they ramp it up, and then then you realise you got to spend four hundred pound to buy a force, right? Very true. Um, yeah. But I think you are right in that if you want to pick up a few miniatures just to practice with, use use Games Workshop. Yeah, you can't go wrong with them, really. Let's let's be honest in terms of like if you're just getting started, and you know we we sort of said we briefly touched on it just now. You know that intimidation factor, like you know you. The the biggest thing for me I noticed is that I, I can look at, you know, I follow a lot of other painters on Instagram and I look at them and I go, oh my God, I, I'm never going to be able to paint like that. And quite quickly, I learned to kind of look past that and move on from that because it's like, well, I can only do what I can do, right? But actually, as long as I'm happy with it, I don't really give a shit what anyone else thinks, let's be honest. And I think... That's the biggest thing. You you see so many people. It's like oh, I'd love to get into painting, but I just I'm never gonna be able to paint as well as Angel Geraldes or you know one of the heavy metal painters for Games Workshop. And it's like, who cares? Just just paint them to the best of your ability. Like that's that's the way I look at it. And I think, you know, you you say obviously you you get hung up on the sort of value of it as such. And you're actually a really good painter. Like you know your RPG model that I can see from here. It's like it looks great. It's really good. And you know. You know, you know that you're a decent painter. I think you just you worry too much and f- struggle to find the time sometimes, which is fair enough. But I think some people can get hung up on you know not being good enough, and I think mm-hmm. that's one thing to just like immediately not worry about and and never worry about if you if you can help it. Yeah, I think it, it's almost. And I read an article on this, and we'll, I'll track it down because it was really it was really interesting reading it. Mm. Um, and we'll include it in the blog that we'll we'll put out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but it's all about coming to the terms with your with your ceiling. Like, yeah. how good a painter can you actually get in the time that you've got available? Yeah. You look at the pros out there. They're painting every single day. They're painting for like four to eight hours a day. Oof. They're just doing it as a job, you know. Yeah. They're, and and they're pro at it for a reason. Mm. But you know, us who were painting maybe a couple of hours a week when you get some time in the evenings for yeah. stress relief or getting a couple of miniatures done. Mm, it's we, very cathartic you're gonna, painting. I you're find. never going to get to that ceiling, and no. setting that bar for yourself is so high, mm. um, and you're always going to f- fall short of it. So, mm. so get something that you want to achieve, and maybe like set a, set a goal, right? Like, yeah. Rather than trying to do too much, be like, I just want to get this board game done. Yeah. Yeah, I want to paint these 10 models from, I don't know, Starship Samurai or something, yeah. you know, because they're, they're actually not too bad little models. Those, yeah. I, I, The game itself, from what I've read, might appeal. I'm not really sure. It's, okay. it's a bit abstracty, but, you know, we'll, we'll look at that another yeah. day. Um, so another thing to consider, if you really want something painted and you've got a bit of spare cash, 
commission painting is an option. There's quite a lot of it out there. You know, people I've seen so many Imperial Assault commissions and many, many painters will, you know, paint anything as part of a commission, you know, whether that be a board game or a miniature wargaming force. And the one thing to bear in mind that that is not cheap, so it's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to be able to afford a commission painter, but if you can, I say go for it. You know, I, I've got no... I don't think many people would have a hang-up on it. You know, if you get an amazing-looking model painted up for you, great, right? If you can yeah, afford I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've commissioned you to paint some of my Infinity miniatures for me, and I think yeah. you, you get to the point, especially with Wargaming, where we tend to buy more than we need or oh, gotcha. we, we just buy stuff and we keep it in boxes understatement but i've i've <laughs> i've learned how to cut my, back my collection so yeah. i've got a reserve collection now um and you know i had four or five armies aka at one point. the pile of shame the is pile of shame to be known yeah. as um but i i cut back that collection and then i was like actually i'm gonna uh, hire lee to paint some of my miniatures for me um, just to get some of that stress off the because mm. it did feel like a weight on my shoulders, like yeah, oh yeah, totally. Um, and it just freed me up to think a bit more about other things I enjoy with a hobby, mm. um, which is good, you know. And I, I wanted that free time. Lisa, fantastic painter. Um, so why, why would that not be an option? Yeah, for me? exactly. It was win-win basically because it was also, you know, for me it funds my hobby. So you know, all, all the better, and I get to do something that I enjoy. And um, probably the off the back of that though is the the one thing if you're going to take on a, a painting yeah. challenge as it were of you know painting up your board game or, or whatever, um, avoiding burnout. Now that's something that I've suffered from quite recently actually. I've not actually picked up a paintbrush in anger in oh, crikey about four or five weeks now. I think wow. yeah, it's just been I burnt out quite a lot. Obviously, I was I was painting quite a lot to get your stuff done, but I've I've also got a lot of commissions in my backlog and it's kind of getting to a point now where I'm like oh god do I even want to do them yeah. I, might, I might have to sort of give them back and say look I'm really sorry but I'm not going to be able to complete this yeah, yeah. this project hopefully not because you know I'd like the money but it, it's good now and again to take a break just just stop you know nobody's pressuring you unless you're a commission painter or you you know you happen to do it professionally nobody's pressuring you to get this stuff painted yeah. so just you know sit back paint or you know if, if you're fed up with painting your 50th Space Marine Paint something different, you know. Yeah. Pick up, you know, like you did. You picked up your RPG model and you painted that up. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that. It was mm. just a case of just paint this one miniature, and I I really enjoyed it. And maybe that's it. It's kind of like just painting a few few models that don't have to be. I think one of the challenges that I've definitely found as well is like painting consistently. When you've got a force of miniatures, let's mm. say, fifteen to twenty models, I'm very inconsistent with my painting style. Right. So getting that consistent look and feel across them can be a bit of a challenge, but painting like a one-off miniature, you can look and look however it needs to look. Like yeah, and yeah. you can get to a style where it's you're happy with it. So yeah, yeah. So that's 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 one thing to remember is just try and avoid burning out because nobody likes burning out on anything. You know, at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying your hobby, then maybe you shouldn't do that hobby, and nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to give up a hobby that they've invested time in, right? Um. That's kind of the it in a nutshell. We have got a little bit maybe we should mention advanced techniques. Yeah, I mean, so I picked up an airbrush um, probably last year, really, and I've mm. predominantly used it just for undercoating, and I have dabbled with um, some different techniques, mm. like zenithal highlighting, yeah. um, and also like some of the miniatures before actually using it to apply those base colours. Yeah. It does work really well, but it is an advanced technique, and I haven't yet got to the point where I'm comfortable using it to paint miniatures like detailed miniatures yeah um i've used it for some terrain that i've done for my war games board 
um, but I've not actually used it for kind of detailed painting like Angel Geraldes would. Yeah. Um, what I would suggest is like, for example, with board games, it's specifically around board games. Yeah. Um, you you can now pick up a few of them that offer what they call sun spotting, I think. Or oh, is that where they like, put like a wash on it or something? But isn't effectively, it? all it is is like a it's like airbrushing. Okay. So they just blast it. So turn your miniature upside down, shoot it with one colour from from upside down. Yeah. Then from up above, put another colour on top. Oh, like a zenithal. And it gives yeah. just a zenithal colour yeah. uh, to Which it. It basically makes it look like the light is shining on it and intensifies yeah. the look of that light. And and it just it can help make miniatures stand out, like te- like board game pieces stand yeah. out, without yeah. having to go full-on painting okay. on them. So it's kind of another option, and I think Lords of Helos did this. Yeah, I think that was one of the options, wasn't it, on that Kickstarter? So there are some other options out there, but again, like we're talking about getting some basic paint on some miniatures here, really. Yeah, I mean, you you don't no you don't no nobody should ever feel like they have to buy an airbrush. Like I've managed this long without an airbrush, and as much as I'd like to do it, I don't need it. You know, eventually I might get one, but you know, don't don't sort of see it as a blocker that oh you know I need to graduate to an airbrush or something like that because it's not. It's not about that, you know, it's about doing the best that you can do and feeling proud of you and having a sense of achievement, right? Yeah, and, and, I, and I, th- I think you should be proud, to be honestly, because the work that you put out, and like, you know, you, you shouldn't be ashamed to say you actually featured in a in a book, didn't you? I did, yeah. It's called the, uh, I think we've mentioned it before on this podcast, the Tabletop Gaming Manual, written by a uh, local journalist, actually, Matt Thrower. Um, my copy is actually out of the house at the moment, so I've actually lent it to a work colleague because <laughs> he's, uh, he, like oh, I say, he's go. just getting into painting, and there's a chapter in there about how to start painting. It's a, a you know, pretty good resource, I think I'd say, you know, um, to sort of help you get started. I mean, it's not the whole focus of the book. The book is about tabletop gaming as a whole, you know, from board games to war games and such, and everything that surrounds that. But there is a section in there about how to paint, and you know, there, there's other resources available online. Like we've said, you know, there's there's so many YouTubers out there. I'm I'm never going to be able to list all of the ones I can think of, but there's there's loads out there that are really really useful tips. You know, we'll we'll add it in the blog article. I think. Yeah, I mean, other things that I have seen online that tend to work quite well. I think there's a few Patreon um chat. Oh, is it called Patreon? I think it is. That they do the crowdfunding thing, yeah, like crowdfunding. So they run kind of like um, vlogs about painting, and they show you different oh, really? techniques. Oh, okay. And like they might pick a single miniature and show you how to paint it from start to finish. Oh, that's cool. And break down the different techniques. So there mm. are lots of different resources online. Yeah. Um, but I think the one one takeaway from this really is that if you want to get some paint on a miniature and you want to kind of make sure that certain board game that you have really shines when you mm. pull it out with your friends, yeah. then don't be afraid to start painting it, but you practice on some miniatures yeah. first. Yeah, definitely practice get, first. Get a, get a basic technique sorted that you're happy to do, mm-hmm. and then sit down and maybe even put a little schedule together, and, and yeah. don't feel like you've got to get through it in a weekend, because you never it, do that. Nev- no. you won't do it, and you'll you know it will frustrate you yeah so plan something maybe the first project you do takes a couple of months to do but Mm. um i think definitely if you've got like an rpg or some small scale tabletop game Mm. definitely start there yeah yeah definitely good advice episode nine then all wrapped up wrapped up like Christmas presents like a Christmas present indeed so yeah it just remains for me to say thank you very much for listening guys um, don't forget you can find us on Spotify now as well as iTunes you know so it's a bit easier to find us just give a search for the average gamers and you should see our nice little retro 80s style logo with the pink writing on it 
You can find us on Instagram at The Average Gamers. Mm-hmm. You can search for us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Average Gamers Podcast. Uh, Twitter, we are at Average underscore Gamers. And if you're a bit old fashioned, you can send us an email, averagegamerspod at gmail.com. So uh, thanks very much, guys, and we'll uh, see you on the next episode. Goodbye for now. Bye for now. Give it three or four and we get bored of it.